Hey everyone, before we begin this episode, I just want to ask you to please give the podcast five stars on iTunes and maybe even write a review. Doesn't have to be anything clever, just something like, I like this. Really appreciate it and thanks so much for listening. Now, on to the show. Maximilian Spinelli. Yes. Give me a name Alfred Hitchcock. Welcome to Give Me a Name where a guest presents me, Ben Kirschenbaum, with a dead historical figure they find interesting, and we discuss. Max, May Plannard, and I are the hosts of a mystery podcast called We Were Had. Very appropriate that we, the current masters of mystery, are discussing the man who started it all. We have <laughs> my third two-time guest, Maximilian Giovanni Spinelli. Thank you. Thank you. That that was uh, a great stat. I feel good about it. <laughs> yeah, that's it feels special. feels like when they make up shit in baseball. You know, he's the second 32-year-old to ever step six feet to the right. <laughs> it's big. This is huge. This, I couldn't even get it. was yeah. a tongue twister just getting through this um, huge honor. Unfortunately, Ben still doesn't do video, but you can't see him wearing the jacket, as is traditional with, with my kind <laughs> when we reach this level. Uh, we are going to talk about for my money the greatest film director of all time certainly pound for pound (laughs) (laughs) ready with the fat shaming he would have loved that would he have though no he would have pretended to but deep down (laughs) it would hurt (laughs) yeah that's what his biographer edward white says he wrote a book called the 12 lives of alfred hitchcock which both of us read and found quite good i believe i really enjoyed this book you want to talk about hitchcockian master of suspense was my experience preparing for this podcast (laughs) i watched all three films but for the last 15 minutes and read half this book in the last two days right and when you say three (laughs) films we designated three films to watch alfred hitchcock himself made 54 yeah films i feel like i've been inside of his mind and i feel like i haven't even scratched the little surface absolutely not because there's so much fat but because (laughs) the last one (laughs) that's the last one the reason why i say he would have been self-conscious about it is because it seemed like he liked making self-deprecating jokes about his weight right but then other people making fun of his weight he was not that he was not into it it was the way that they said it what was that the fat man that was one of the lives they named the 12 different lives of Alfred Hitchcock. Of Alfred Hitchcock. The voyeur, the, the womanizer. What, which ones? Can we, at the end, can we say which ones are Hitchcock? Or do you want to tell me which one? Which one's your Hitchcock? <laughs> which, is <my> Hitchcock? <laughs> which one's your Hitchcock? His horcruxes. <laughs> I'm very fond. I'll tell you which mine is. You can guess it. It's the dandy. It's the dandy. My, mine is the dandy. <laughs> I want to say mine is the womanizer, but it really okay. is the dandy. <laughs> the dandy. <laughs> it all comes back. We're all the dandy. <laughs> I see my Hitchcock as a dandy type. Oh, my gosh. Well, there's so much to get into. I don't know why. I'm, I just started hosting the podcast. <laughs> well, that's actually now usually with guests. Where do you want to get? I have notes. Oh, please. Well, do you want to start with the book or the films or what do you want to his, – his life? Let's talk a little bit it's about – It's been the- a minute since – shut up, Ben. I, it's been <laughs> – <laughs> No, no, please. <laughs> it's been a minute since I've done the pod, and I don't recall the format. You know, I should. So, have gone over no, no it a I'm going to stop you. You should have told me what we were going to be doing. And there's been a lot of like learned people on. You've had professor, professor. There's doctors. Yeah, you're solving crimes on the podcast. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. So, as a clown boy, returning to the mic. The way I would like to start is a little bit about the childhood. 
just because I think it does inform who he is both as a person and a filmmaker. As a little fat boy. As a little, he, is, <laughs> he was always kind of an outsider, partly because of yeah. his weight. He was born in 1899, just outside London, kind of during the Jack the Ripper London. He was a ripper. Yeah. Well, he did a movie. What, he, the, the Ledger. The yeah, Lodger. The Lodger. The yes. Lodger. Um, the Lodger was about a Jack the Ripper type killer. That's one of his early silent films. That's what's so cool about him. It's like the whole history of movies is him because his career is just well, so long. Well, that blew my mind is that he was doing it from the fucking 20s until the, the 60s. Right. And he died in the 70s, at the end of the 70s. Right. That's an entire lifetime of being at the top of the game. It's silent movies it's artistic artsy german type movies it's the early talkies he made the first british talkie that's he made the first (laughs) british talkie mike (laughs) trout what else do you want me to say (laughs) no the guy's cool i was thinking about well edward white the 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 guy who read the book he kept being like oh he changed so much the the way he's talked about things and it was a whole lifetime i would imagine you wouldn't have the same perspective on things Throughout your entire lifetime. Yeah. So it kind of makes sense. But he like adds it to being like he's mysterious because he changes the stories from when he was four. So he's known (laughs) as the master of suspense. And one story that I like is he explains the difference between shock and suspense. And what he says is shock is you're in the middle of a room or whatever and a bomb goes off. Suspense is you know that there's a bomb in the bag and you're wondering whether it's going to go off or not. And like that you can stretch. Mm. As opposed to shock, which is just like one right. moment. I will say one critique, not to get into the movies. I could have used some time in the editing room. <laughs> which, one are some you cuts. Refer- which one are you referring <laughs> All to? All three. All three. <laughs> so the three films that we decided to <laughs> focus on today are Strangers on a Train, which is from 1951, Rear Window, 1954, and 1960, Psycho. Right. And his career starts in the 20s, and like you said, he doesn't die until 1980, And these movies are made not too far apart, but it's part of his run of movies that is just hit after hit after hit. It's just hits. The guy's hit. It's just he's making hits. And he actually said on the filming of Strangers on a Train, he's like, my career begins now. His movies in the 50s through The Birds, which is 63, like those movies are all considered some of the greatest movies of all time. They are. And interesting thing about Hitchcock, nominated five times for Best Director, never won. Wow. And the reason Who fucking why... won? Catherine Bigelow? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Hurt Locker's a wonderful movie. Yeah, Hurt Locker's great. It's I don't know what that was. Wonderfully directed. <laughs> but one thing that I read was like, the reason why he didn't win is because the Oscars are snobby and his movies were just too successful and too entertaining. That's so funny. It was like giving it to a popular movie. Yeah. The box office winner. Psycho like, was panned. It said, or it was not that well received. Well, it was well received by by the fans. The I mean, audience was, ate it up. Oh, they, they were screaming in the theaters. <laughs> he reminds me a lot of Bowie, honestly. My first episode that I did. David Bowie, see episode seven, I believe. Wow. I mean, lucky number seven. <laughs> but it were as like Bowie also had a very long, very successful career through decades where he was influencing everyone. Also, Hitchcock said this too, like where he like he borrowed from other people. Like he would give his writers scripts from other people's films and be like, "Use this as inspiration." And like, he didn't really write too many of the movies. No, all he had the... like visions. I think it was weird how they made movies back then. So like studios hired a director to just kind of like work for them and make some movies. He would have an idea, 
ask a writer to make it for him, basically? It's the studio system, and the most famous producer was this guy, David Selznick. Uh, Selznick came up all the time. Yeah, Selznick is all over the place. I mean, he... (laughs) For those of you who can't see, and by those of you, I mean all of you, because there's no video on this, Max just gestured to his book. (laughs) There it is. There it is. Uh, Selznick was the famous producer of Gone with the Wind, and he signed Hitchcock to a big deal in the late 30s. But... The producers were the most powerful people. Right. They're the ones making you take your clothes off in a hotel room. Well, no, Hitchcock also. Oh, Hitchcock also did that. Okay, yeah. Uh, good, 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 good. Well, you can't win them all. I will say I famously didn't like watching old movies. Mm. Like I, I don't even watch them. I refuse to watch them. Is Hitchcock the exception? I will say, well, it is now. I had seen, I saw Rear Window in college. I was a film minor. Deal with it. Oh, that's great. That's why I'm an Is artist. That, yeah. <laughs> that's what influenced me. It's opened a lot of doors. Uh, yeah. And it was a wonderful <laughs> film. But I watched these three movies, and I, I would like to see some more old movies. I'm going to finally get, he's always going on and on. He was like, it's the greatest generation, you know. And it's, I say that? Yeah, you're always saying. <laughs> Probably <am. Yeah. laughs> So going back to his childhood for a second, seen as like a bit of an outsider, he's got one famous story that he would always say in interviews where his dad sort of set him up for no reason to be put in jail for like five minutes. Just five oh, minutes. Yeah, that, I love these little stories that he tells throughout his career. And that apparently was the beginning of him being afraid of cops. Right. Which he hates had, authority. Hates authority. A cab, baby Hitchcock. <laughs> A cab. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> and he has fear i mean he's a very fearful guy which is not surprising because so many of his movies are about phobias right but he had a lot of these claustrophobia fear of heights like vertigo that's so funny in the book because we read we're both people that read i loved how much he is the perfect example of two things existing like he was like by all accounts horribly anxious always anxious had all these phobias and like anxieties but also he had fun like he fucked like he had fun he did his relationship with women is very confusing. It's a, it's weird. And there's some stuff that's Weinstein-y, and, for sure. And and frankly, he's a little uh, curious on the other side of the aisle. He's got some a lot of his movies, Strangers on a Train, I feel like. I the first Strangers on a Train, I take notes when, as I'm watching these movies. Look at my first unprompted before I read the book. First note under Strangers on a Train. Are they going to kiss? <laughs> <laughs> Great question. I mean, that's what it. That's what it was. He was hitting on him. Strangers on a Train, Rope is another one where there are definitely gay undertones in the movie. But it all had to be wink, wink. Well, like even in in Rear Window, my favorite scene of this film. First of all, Grace Kelly is the most beautiful, perfect thing that I've ever seen. She glows. She's glowing. I don't and, know if it's a filter, but and Hitch would agree with you. Yeah, and Hitch Hitch would agree with me. Yeah, and he's got taste. Uh, but she has a little suitcase for sleeping over Jimmy Stewart's house. Mm. Jimmy Stewart, that kid at 63,000 years old. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about more of this all. This and like, but she has this little suitcase and the cop comes over and he like looks at the suitcase. He looks at Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart looks at him. He looks at the suitcase. He goes, careful. <laughs> it's amazing. They can only hint at sex. Yeah. <laughs> And he's pretty good at it. He has certain scenes. I mean, he's definitely the more risque of mainstream directors. In Psycho, she's in her bra a few times. The woman across the street doing exercises on film, that's pornographic. That's in Rear Window. Yeah, 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 for sure. (laughs) That's obscene. And in a later movie, he actually does show some nudity. Titties? I don't know about... Arse. Well, it would have to be titties, right? (laughs) No, it's It's full. It's whole. (laughs) (laughs) It's just... 
full penis. It's Grace. just the forgetting Sarah Marshall scene. You don't remember Grace Kelly's beaver shot of 72. <laughs> That's great. To catch a thief. <laughs> oh. He was very upset when Grace Kelly married the Prince of Monaco and retired. Forgot she was a princess. What yes. a story. Her story. She Let's is, switch to her. She's hot. What the fuck are we doing? It's the first give me a name that transfers midway. I am a fan. I want to see more of her. Oh, she's amazing. She's a star. Yeah. And he had a few female leads, famously, who he was very into. Ingrid Bergman was the first big one in the 40s. Then you have all the blondes. So Grace Tippi Kelly, Hedren. Tippi Hedren, Ava Marie Saint, Janet Lee, and Tippi Hedren is the story that is the most controversial by far. The birds. He the was the birds. most abusive, allegedly, to her? Yeah. So he discovers her. Mm. It was her first movie, The Birds, and wow. she was just an advertisement, and wow. he picked her up and mm. just signed her for a bunch of movies, sight unseen. Kind of feels like you'd be thankful. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. I thought that him and his wife seemed like they had a nice relationship. Him and his wife is a love story minus the fact that he molested other people. Tippi Hedren in 2016, <laughs> the year before Me Too, actually, Whoa. said that Hitchcock definitely made passes at her, was very aggressive. What is for sure is that he kind of fucked with her mind on the filming of the birds. He like make her super scared? Yeah, she. he put her in a room with actually birds. Oh, well, that's mean. <laughs> it's a very mean thing to do. He had a few of those things where he's like, we're not going to use effects for this one. We got to really. Uh, the book's about Quentin Tarantino. They're going to talk about what he did to Uma Thurman. Yeah. And, all, and I'm sure more people. Well, the thing is with Hitchcock, and this is by no means defending him with this stuff, but it's like, this was so regular. At the time. I Are mean, it you was. you saying it was a different time? I'm not. <laughs> it's because more, you're correct. I am going to spin it. What I am saying is that I'm not just blaming Hitch. I am blaming the whole society, society it's for a, that time period. I would. One of my favorite parts of the book, and I put this, um, is that he slapped Joan Fontaine so she could cry during Rebecca while filming. Great she, scene. <laughs> Great. He, he said, because he was like, she couldn't cry on cue. It was like apologizing, and, and he was like, "What could get you to cry on cue? What do you think?" And he was like, "She was like, I suppose if you slap me," and he slapped her, and it worked. And I mean, she said, "You know what? He did it. <laughs> it's a good acting thing." Oh, you know what was a great quote that he said later on though? Dark. He was quoting the playwright Victorian Sardou, and he he did that. He said, the, "As one does." <laughs> the key to good drama is to quote torture the women. Exclamation point. That was a quote, right? That's a quote. <laughs> the key like, to good drama is to torture the women. The other quote that I heard him say about drama is that drama is life with all the boring parts taken out. Oh, I know that quote. That's a fun quote. That's a good That's one. That's such a good senior quote. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but I also love the reference he often called actors cattle. I don't love that. Well, I mean... They are, well, he's worked with a couple of cows in his, later in his career. Jesus! The <laughs> amount of... <laughs> God, you're a fit guy, but you feel the right to just... <laughs> now you're attacking all the people in the movies. That's what Equinox does to you as a brand. Uh, <laughs> just just joining Equinox. Yeah, just not joining. going. I'm yeah. not going, no. <laughs> but there's like a lot of actors in the 50s, like Marlon Brando and James Dean, where right. it's like acting becomes this super real serious art form. And for Hitchcock, he's using great actors, Cary Grant and Jimmy right. Stewart, but... 
he's telling them like do your cattle like do do what i tell you to do right it's like he is the director that is in charge of everything it really feels that way yeah he has a hand and he has a vision for it all well honestly i think it's sick that he puts himself in shit he just he makes it about him how many directors and do I you love that how I many love dir- make, you know how much i make shut up Ben. you know how much i love making things about me <laughs> I was going to get to the part of why you chose Alfred Hitchcock, but now I'm seeing there. There's a lot of of similarities in there. Mostly the dandy, <laughs> but yes, he would definitely put himself in stuff. Especially, he makes a TV show in the 50s. He directs a bunch of the episodes, but he also does the outros and the intros. Right. And how many directors, even now, was that you, like a Twilight Zone kind of? Vibe? It was like a Twilight Zone, like kind of anthology, like creepy. Every episode stands on its own type Ooh. things. I would like a couple recommendations. For those to watch. For sure. I actually like the intros and outros better. <laughs> it's just, it's just him making just jokes. Just YouTube compilations of them. I would. But how many directors can you think of where you know exactly what they look like and sound like? Dennis uh, Anarafio. Were you about to say Villanoe? Villanoe. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. They both, both Dennis's have tough names to say. Wes Anderson. I know what he looks like. Yes, but I mean, Catherine Hitchcock. Bigelow. I do know what she looks like. Olivia Wilde in the new yeah, Olivia Wilde. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that those are well. Olivia Wilde's not fair because that's an actor turned director, turned drama queen. Turned... <laughs> <laughs> um, but he does make it. It's one of the first times where, especially when you think of the other directors of his time, he's the one that everyone recognizes that everyone knows there's a lot of famous directors oh the guy was a star yeah to be respected by it that's what makes it so special and i think it's like what when people like will smith before the slap and like artists like when everyone respects them critically and publicly like yeah it's unanimous that was him but with directing for sure what's so interesting about the critical thing christopher nolan i would say shut up Christopher Nolan is like similar to that. Like not certainly not to the extent of obviously of of Hitchcock, but I feel like what I'm going to do is I'm going to edit this so that I'm completely silent before you say shut up just to set you up that I wasn't even talking over you. Mr. Vice President, Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking, please. The thing about the critical reception is that because again, he wasn't winning Oscars because he's too entertaining basically. Right. It wasn't until really the 60s where these fancy French directors like Truffaut, who interviews him for a million hours, right. were like, no, 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 this guy's like the best director. Oh, tour. Yeah, he's actually an artist. Right. But that doesn't really show up until a little bit later. But it's kind of sick that he didn't, he, he said he didn't want to be considered to be an artist. Right. I have a quote that says, I have too much conscience to take a million dollars and make a film that would please only me and the critics. He cared about entertaining That's people. That's sick. That was his main people thing. People paid to see a show. And his main audience in his mind was women, more than men. What he said was, it's not necessarily that more women go to the theater than men, well, mm-hmm. but women decide what movie to go to. The guy comes ah. home and is like, what movie do you want to see? And it's the woman who decides. So that was his target audience, more than men. That's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, the guy's a marketing genius, too. He is a marketing that's genius. That's wild, yeah. And that's part of the putting himself in cameos in almost every movie. I mean, he created one of the best brands of all time. Hitchcock. Hitchcock. Which Sorry, I don't know if I need to give away. Hey, you go, Hitchcock. <laughs> I'm just so into twists now. <laughs> oh, should we talk about his weight? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead. That's the next thing in my notes. So this, this, <laughs> this book mentioned... 
the fact that he was ridiculed his whole life and like it was he was when he was younger he was chubby and like bullied and then he was fatter and the guy goes he goes gossip innuendo and ridicule his entire life and then like a couple sentences later he goes hitchcock's final years were a slog he suffered from excruciating pain in his arthritic joints likely exacerbated by years of supporting so much weight and his fanatical opposition to exercise of any sort. <laughs> he goes on like diets. This at author points. hates him. The author at has the end definitely... of every chapter, he goes. By the way, Hitchcock sucks cock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but he also is a fan. I think it's a fair and balanced assessment of a human being. Yeah, I but mean, he was the... calling him fat as fuck in this. All the well, yeah, I mean, you uh, obviously echoed that a few times already, but. <laughs> He is a mixed figure. I mean, like, there's no doubt about it. He's the greatest director of all time. He definitely was, seems to have molested-ish at least Tippi Hedren, oh. or at least sort of tortured her in some sort of way. And, you know, both of those things are true when it comes to Hitchcock. And it's so hard when you become this larger in life figure, the lines between reality and fiction, it's, it's wild. That does to you mentally must be absurd. But also being molested, not great. Not Hitchcock, great. Do better. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of biographers, including this guy, are like, you try to learn about artists through their art. Right. And there are a few movies for certain. I mean, Vertigo is a famous example where basically the guy, he thinks that the woman he loves is dead. So he tries to recreate her mm. by making someone who kind of looks like her look exactly like her. And, you know, it shows probably the person who made that movie is a bit obsessive tries to make women right. into what he wants to mold them into etc he loves a blonde he loves blonde he loves a blonde and <laughs> you know what he loves is hurting those blondes <laughs> in the films yeah but honestly but here's the thing is they're strong blondes the female characters and this i think goes back to wanting women to see the movie they're right. not weak characters at all rear window is a great example rear window she's the hero of the film she's got the guts she's the only one that can fucking do anything First of all, she's hot as hell. Second of all, she has a cool personality. She proves herself as a debutante society type saleswoman and also detective, busting in doors, cracking skulls. He's just sitting there with a broken leg, sounding all weird. Being a pussy (laughs) and being like, I can't get married. I'm a kid. And then he creaks out of bed. He has silver hair. (laughs) Rear window, influential for a lot of reasons and recreated many times. Probably a huge influence on Judd Apatow of having the absurd story of a man much less attractive than right. the woman, and he's the one rejecting her. Rejecting her. Yeah, I, she's too perfect. <laughs> I don't want that. Yeah, there's a shumping. There's shumping off. Yeah, <laughs> I hated that so much. I was very mad at him, and also the fact that he was a young man. He kept saying he was the same age as that nurse massaging him, and she was like, "You're a kid. You'll get married when you get married." <laughs> And the age gap happens again. North by Northwest, Cary Grant is way older than Abram Reese Saint. Cary Grant and Jimmy Stewart were in a bunch of his movies. Mm-hmm. Cary Grant was like the guy he wanted to be. Right. You know, the smooth-talking, good-looking right. guy. That's what he saw on the inside. And Jimmy Stewart is who he actually was. Ah. In Jimmy Stewart ones, Jimmy Stewart's afraid of heights. Yeah. He's gawking at people in Rear Window. I mean... Rear Window, according to the biographer, this guy White, Rear Window is kind of the ultimate Hitchcock movie because it's right. sort of about being a creepy, yeah, creepy you know, little dandy. Yeah, <laughs> creepy <laughs> little dandy. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> but no, he is eight thousand years old, and that was something that I noticed in all the movies, though. That in old movies, it's the grease effect. 
that the that I guess they didn't care if you looked ancient. Yeah. And you could play that. Because like in Strangers on a Train, Bruno is fifty. Yeah. And he behaves like a human child. Yeah. Like he's like eighteen tops. Yeah. The age gaps in all these old movies. High Noon was a famous one. That's not a Hitchcock movie, but Gary Cooper and that's also Grace Kelly. The age gap on that one, let me see right now. Gary Cooper was the male lead. He Why was, were you saying this like you're hacking into the computer? If I get Gary Cooper into Google, I'll be able to figure. <laughs> it looks like the age difference was 28 years in that movie. Jesus Christ. This wasn't a Hitchcock <laughs> movie. Sorry. I just wanted to bring up another one. <laughs> we're How topic. about that for that dandy? I... Back to Hitchcock. So how does he get his start in movies? He was an ad man. Don Draper. I'm an ad man myself. (laughs) You're an ad man. I am an ad man. A little copywriting. And then he starts writing some of the title cards for silent movies. And it is during this time period that he meets a film editor named Alma, Mm. who will be his wife for decades. And until death. And it seems like a great relationship and definitely a collaborative one. I mean, Alma, she is a film editor and she knows movies. She's credited as collaborating with him for a while. Then she stops being credited. And that might have to do with him trying to sell the whole Hitchcock. By himself thing. Yeah. She helped him write some stuff, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, they, it, they were a power couple. It was so cool how they met on fucking set, in the wild, doing doing the art. It felt so him. But that's so funny because I believe both to be that can be true, that he had a healthy, happy relationship with his wife. And he was also kind of a creepy perv at work. Separates the yeah. church from state. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that by all accounts, they had a very productive relationship. And apparently he started getting depressed later in life. She got cancer and she recovered, actually. But when she got cancer later on, he was like devastated. I mean, he was yeah. couldn't imagine a world without her. Beautiful. And he thanked her when he won some big award. It might have been the honorary Oscar. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember exactly what he was. But he's like, I'd like to thank... You know, four people, my collaborator, the mother of my child, the woman who was always there for me when I needed her, and like some fourth thing. And he's like, and it's all Oh, Alma. my God. Yeah. That's the most beautiful thing. I almost started crying. <laughs> First of all, you said it great. Uh, <laughs> well, I said it with more energy than yeah. Hitchcock. He said it even more dead fan. <laughs> That's beautiful. He's a great man. Um, I am obsessed <laughs> with just going to shift a million times. Uh, the guy's a hero. <laughs> I pulled a really fun thing about him that really summed up the whole book but it was halfway through and that was it so that's all i read sometimes people give the the thesis of the book right in the middle yeah there. i think <laughs> i think this is the conclusion of the book so there actually there was no reason to finish it but it was cool because he goes he, he was simultaneously the artist in the crowd please of the timorous timorous virgin and the man women couldn't resist and the fat misfit and the dandy uh element and precise for whom obtaining whatever is perfect of its own kind was the closest he got to a philosophy of life he was all the things at once. Yeah. You can be fat. You can be a pervert. You can be rude at times, but you could also be fun and an artist <laughs> and a great husband. What a man. And a good father. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. It's so weird that now the whole point of this podcast also happens in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> that's where, that's where the, that's where the point usually is. So what were the, uh, spark notes on the back half? The, uh, the six that I didn't get to. The six, there's a whole chapter here about him and his relationship with England that I thought was interesting. That's called The Londoner. Oh. And 
That was interesting because Hitchcock made his early movies, well, actually, his first movie in Germany, and he's very influenced by the German avant-garde. And the author makes a comparison between him and the Beatles. The Beatles performed in Hamburg Mm -hmm. at the beginning of their careers, so they had the German influence, they're English, and then they come to America. Wow. And when Hitchcock... And they had those spooky little haircuts. And (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And when Hitchcock came to America, people in England were pissed. That he sort of, you know, sold out to Hollywood, basically. Wow. He was the British filmmaker, and now he's he became an American citizen. Great guy. Hitchcock, great, great American. Great American. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that that stuff was cool. And then also his whole English, there's a certain Englishness about him that he's... Right. I keep... For, I, I, it's so funny because I consider him an American director. Well, you're wrong. Oh, I mean, I'm you... incorrect. <laughs> I had, I didn't imagine that he was British. Right. Even though seeing this photograph of him that you can't see uh, if you're listening, but it's a British stance. It's a British Just know stance. that. But imagining him as British makes a lot of sense. But I would love, he's been added for me whenever people like ask like who you have dinner with, dead or alive, yeah. or uh, the dead person you'd have dinner with. I would add Hitchcock to that list. Well, because you know the food would be good. <laughs> well, I'm certainly leaning up with it. But he... <laughs> Well, my favorite story is that Mel Brooks, who made a famous parody of Hitchcock movies called High Anxiety, tells the story that he went out to dinner. I don't know if it's true, but he told the story that he went out to dinner with Hitchcock and he describes it in like great detail. But basically, he's like, there was appetizers, there was shrimp cocktail, there was, you know, uh, mozzarella and tomato, there was soup, there was salad. Then there was the main course. There was steak. There was chicken. There was all this stuff. Then there was dessert. There was cake. There was cookies. There was ice cream. And then Hitchcock turns to the waiter and says... Again. Because <laughs> he's a big guy. <laughs> the greatest filmmaker ever, and we just have many lines about his weight. But yeah, yeah. As, as we should, this is the pull clip. What else do they have other than the Londoner? So then the other thing, in addition to the English stuff, is the religious stuff. He grew up Catholic, mm. and it seems like a lot of his films definitely have some religious elements well, He was terrified of, of nuns and authority. That's the other thing. Like He went to a boarding school, one of them, for like, what, a month? Mm. They took him out because they just beat the bag out of him. Yeah. And then later on in his life, he seemed to get kind of religious again. But there's definitely that part of him throughout those movies. Did he ever do like a religious horror? Like an exorcism or like something that was like kind of like witchy? Not that I know of. His real horror movies, because I feel like maybe this is not that big of a difference, but suspense feels different from horror. Thriller and horror are two different sections. It really is. Uh, They are. They're two different genres. What would you call Psycho? That's interesting. I would call that a thriller with horror elements. It's a thriller horror. That's actually one that bridges the gap. And it's kind of the turning point because all of his earlier movies are very adventurous and there are suspenseful moments. Right. But the shower scene in Psycho is a, that's a horror scene. Well, I will say that, it, I, honestly, it's a horror film. It's a horror film. And Birds is kind of similar, which comes three years birds later. Birds is a horror film. Yeah. That, I don't like things happening in daylight. And they get those birds are hitting in daylight. Yeah. I don't like that. That was one shot that they said was very religious. At the beginning of the birds, you see sort of a God shot. Right kind of looking down on this very picturesque town right and the birds just sort of swooping birds attacking people we don't know the reason that's another that kind of feels religious but he would never he never put a reason on it and then sometimes he would make it up right and he would say it after the fact (laughs) that's fun so we watched for the pod psycho strangers on a train and rear window which was your favorite my favorite was psycho 
I had never seen that film. I feel like that had I had already seen Rear Window and I loved it. And it's what it is. It's one of my favorite movies. But Psycho had such a, a high expectation for me. Just for, and I knew the twist. I know it from like BuzzFeed lists of the greatest fucking. Yeah, I knew I knew that, and everything was earned. Everything was incredible. It was an incredible movie. It's it incredible one of my. Movie. It is in my top ten favorite movies. Get out! He said it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I. Uh, it's it's, out it's there. on tape. It's I don't know there. what to tell you. <laughs> I mean, it's an evolving list, of course, but it's a breathing document. <laughs> I love that movie so much. What's so cool to me about Psycho is that it doesn't work as his first movie. Right. It only works with the fact that he's established what a Hitchcock movie is. Wow. What I mean by that is that it starts off as a typical Hitchcock movie. Basically, Janet Lee is on the run because she stole some money and it's, you know, she doesn't know if she's going to get away with it or whatever. The, the blonde Hitchcock star. And then the lead of the movie is dead. Mm. After half the movie. Yeah. And it's like, it feels like he was saying to the audience, oh, you think you're coming to a Hitchcock movie? You're coming to see something totally different. Right. It was a totally different movie. It yeah. pivoted. It was, it was sick. Kind of, uh, you ever seen The Place Beyond the Pines? Yes. That does exactly that. Well, it was two movies. It changed, it changed films. Yeah. Across all three, the performances in these movies, I think it's like, it definitely has to be with like what he got out of people, especially the women, but like the acting in these movies is incredible. Perkins as Norman Bates. Wow. I mean, the guy, that was cool. He was just so believable as this insane but guy. But Janet Lee as well. I was totally invested in her whole story. Yeah. So Janet Lee plays Marion Crane, mm-hmm. who is famously killed in the shower, and also Jamie Lee Curtis's mother. You know what I would argue was a tougher part to play, and she nailed it? The sister. I cared about her. I she, love- she was great. Almost always in these movies, Rear Window is a similar thing. Mm-hmm. The second female lead, the nurse in Rear Window, yeah, is the most incredible character on film <laughs> ever. <laughs> I love that woman. She just chimes in. She's like, "Oh yeah, built in '94. I remember." <laughs> and he collaborated with great writers, some like super famous writers, like Thornton Wilder and right. Raymond Chandler is credited as one of the writers of Strangers on a Train, but he dropped out, and apparently they ch- totally changed everything. But the dialogue in Rear Window and North by Northwest is like so snappy. It's, it's so good. It's quick. It, and genuinely funny. Like that's the no, other thing. Good. His movies are funny. They hold up. It was enjoyable. I, I watched both Strangers on a Train. <laughs> you were mouthing it for me. You were like, on a train. <laughs> and so Psycho. Weird pregnancy. <laughs> strangers on a, a Vertigo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Psycho, both of them on Monday. And I watched him with my roommate, Kathy, who, you know, friend of the pod, loves this show. And she was fucking nagging me. She was like, I don't, I don't can we not watch both of these movies? I was like, I gotta, for the pod. Mm. She loved them. She loved them. We, I were, mean, we were both fully engrossed. It was, I, it was wild. There's no way not to like Psycho. The f- scene where he kills her and he's trying to get rid of the car and he puts the car, it, he pushes it into like a creek. Oh, yeah. And it's going down, it's going down. Stop. And for a second it stops. And you're rooting it for, to yeah. go down. Yeah. You're rooting for this psycho. Well, he's charming. He's very charming. Yeah. But crazy. Charming but crazy. That's my whole thing. Now, the <laughs> thing to talk about that I think is important with Psycho is that at the very end of the movie, there is the twist, which I'll give away because the movie came out 60 years ago, where the killer is Norman Bates dressed up as his mother and a detective type 
therapist guy in five minutes literally explains the whole movie. I love that scene. I think that for the time, because the themes in it of like the cross-dressing and stuff right. were so avant-garde yeah. that you needed that scene maybe in 1960. But I feel like from a modern stance, it's a, it feels a little unnecessary. It, it, doesn't felt, it didn't feel needed for you. It felt like you were saying too I much. I thought it was amazing. That guy was so cool. He was so charismatic. The psychotherapist paces throughout the room and he's like, well, you see, it wasn't two people. It was one mind split in half. And it's like, it's incredible. He's selling it. I was on the edge of my seat. I just saw the movie and I saw it again, but told more like fun and sciencey. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is a rare case where the very last five minutes or almost last five minutes, the very final scene is wonderful where it shows Norman Bates in the cell. And it's his internal monologue. Right. I would never hurt a fly. Yeah, I would never hurt a fly. Incredible. And the, the the pan in. You can. You know what is so cool about watching these movies, especially Psycho, is you see so many like different methods and tactics that other people have used in movies. Then you're like, this must have been. This is it. This is the shot that kicked off this shit. The, he must be the most copied director that there is. Right. Uh, kind of shit that's so good and respected that copying it is also respected. Oh, yeah. No, it's an homage. It's yeah. not stealing. Exactly. Even though it is stealing. It is, but, yeah. yeah. But it's like, it's so good. It's cool that you did it. And that, like, good for you. You yeah. saw, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, well, I also like You that. saw Saboteur. <laughs> you know, that's awesome. <laughs> so you choose Alfred Hitchcock as your second, historically, the third, second. <laughs> Give me a name. Right. Why'd you go with Hitch? Why did you go with Hitch? I was going to do... Famously, was going to do H.G. Wells. Yes. And then I read The Time Machine, and I loved it. And then I couldn't get into any of his other books. Hmm. And so I was like, I don't want to do that. So then I was like, I want to do... I got, I've got. i been loving thriller books and movies lately. And then I was like, I want to go to somebody that started so much of this. And I thought of Hitchcock. He's I the guy. I, I use your podcast to do things that I wouldn't normally do. Like, like watch something that I never... I would never have watched any of these movies or read this book. But now... Yeah, I'm Hitch. I'm a Hitchcockian. I'm school. Yeah, I'm school for you. <laughs> I'm giving you assignments. I work here. Yeah, but yeah. So I I love when people are real people. Like obviously he was very flawed, but it felt like throughout his life he was kind of honest about to, but dishonest and honest at the same exact time, which is so honestly relatable. And the movies feel honest. Yeah, it was it was balanced, and it plays into he compared his movies oftentimes to like roller coasters that basically. Right. People get a thrill out of being scared. Right. And you leave the roller coaster and you're happy about it. Right. Even for whatever reason, humans right. are just like that. And he understood that. He was just fascinated with the idea of stuff, of, of, of like fear and like th those kind of things. It was, it's just cool. The guy is cool. <laughs> Strangers um, on a train, though, they should have had those two kiss. Yeah, well, that would have been giving too, <laughs> that would have been explaining <laughs> it too much. <laughs> Do you want to go through the movie? Sure. So, Strangers on a Train. Yeah. 1951. What were your thoughts on that? This one, I, t I have the most notes on. It was the first one I watched. I had never seen it. This was like the one that I knew nothing about beforehand because Psycho, I knew the twist and the general plot. And then Rear Window, I had already seen. So, like, this one was like, I knew nothing. So, I was like really excited to see it. And it was good, but it wasn't, it did not blow me away like the other two. The other two are better. The other yeah. two are better movies. Yeah. But there was so much of it. This was like fun. It was a fun movie. Mm -hmm. The wife character. 
before she gets killed is one of the most incredible. The, you know what? Everyone in this movie is a one note thing. That's the problem. Right. No, but nobody feels like a real person. They're all cardboard cutouts. Right. With Psycho, it feels like almost all the characters are cardboard cutouts except for Norman Bates. Right. You don't know too much about Janet Lee's character. I mean, I guess a little bit, but it's, she has like she wavers. Yeah, they all make sense. Like yeah. she's got a motive for they're, taking they're a the money. More settled than yeah. I mean, Strangers on a Train. Everyone's just I'm tennis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're referring to the wife. So basically, the general plot of Strangers on a Train is that a conversation is sparked by two com- strangers on a train, and it seems like one of the guys who's the villain of the movie, Bruno, probably arranged to meet this amateur tennis player and Mm -hmm. both of them have people in their lives that would make sense to die basically Mm -hmm. bruno's father he hates his father and the tennis player is going through a divorce and he would want to kill his soon-to-be ex-wife and the ex-wife is like sleeping around or right well her whole character is who yeah (laughs) that's just that's all they wrote on the paper and boy does she fucking sell it it's like she goes to the circus with two different guys and the whole time she's looking at her stalker yeah i think it is a really good movie but basically the bruno character says why don't i kill your person and you kill my person Mm -hmm. and the tennis player is like, no, no, come on, I'm not gonna do he's, that. He placates him because the guy they've been drinking, and he like he like hops off the train. He's like, oh yeah, yeah, great idea. And Bruno then actually kills the ex-wife. Right, but he does it. It's a real creepy scene. But this Bruno character, the whole time, he's the villain in the movie, but he plays it in a way that he's tricking you. Mm. I keep waiting for the the tennis player to also be the bad guy. Be the bad guy. Yeah, and like he just like won't do it. Yeah. But like Bruno is like has me believing that they were the same. You know what I mean? It was interesting because he was throwing in a performance. But anyway, you were saying. No, it's right. It's like he's kind of gaslighting everybody in the movie. Right. He's gaslighting me, an audience member. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yes, yeah, you're right. I Great guess, like, performance. Yeah, no, it's sick. Yeah. But yeah, the scene where he kills this guy's wife, who, by the way, the tennis man roughs up in the office. I don't know if you caught that scene. <laughs> Yeah, but he already, goes to yeah, where she her. works and he shakes her like a fucking rag doll. Which Everybody's is, watching, and the boss comes over and he goes, "Keep it domestic." Yeah, he goes, "Stay, keep it at home, not at the office. <laughs> Hit her in your own house." <laughs> but that's got to be par for the course. Oh, for I, these I'm movies. sure. Yeah. yeah, you just don't do it in the conference room. No, no have a little <laughs> class, Jesus. I will say, all three of these films were way more sexually charged than I thought they were going to be, and they showed more than I thought would be allowed. I think he's playing with how much you can Was show. Was he just I mean, pushing the envelope? I mean, there's the Hayes Code. There's a code that basically limits what you're allowed to show in movies at this time period. Mm-hmm. But I guess because he's such a big name and because he's sort of doing it in a innuendo, right. roundabout way, he gets away with it. Yes, jeez. The guy's a genius. Yeah. He's beating the law. All right. So anyway, when the guy is chasing this woman, not even chasing, he's slowly chasing after her. But I don't like that they make it her fault because every time she looks back at him, she's smiling and into it. The fact yes. that he's talking. Yes. Her. Which is weird. It's weird. Yeah. It's really, it's upsetting. And then he just chokes her out. Oh. Yeah. He kills her by choking her. The glasses fall. It's dark. It's He picks up the lighter because he's being a good guy. Yeah. I mean, Hitchcock would say that all of the murders in his movies were done with intention and purpose. Also notice, there are definitely exceptions to this, but not so much gun violence in Hitchcock movies. Oftentimes, the big murders are stabbing. Or hands. They're intimate kills. And I think that might... A lot of poisoning. And that could be also the British aspect of him. American is very gun violence. We love a gun. But Hitchcock murders tend to be a little bit more... 
original. These are British murders. Yeah, these are British. <laughs> these are British. They're fancy. Just use a gun. You know, grow up. How about Ann Morton, though, huh? The mistress. Oh, the mistress. His mistress. The yeah. tennis star. The fellow yeah. tennis star. Again, the names. They got up. captured yeah. in the newspapers. Everybody knows. <laughs> <laughs> They're sleeping together. What else you got on Strangers on a Train? I loved that. Okay, so Bruno kills this guy's wife, and he's not going. He's not playing game. Ann Morton has a little sister with legal expertise sprinting on the room. She's like a little lawyer, but also obsessed with murder. That another time that is she playing literally twelve or. Uh, 24 yeah it's it's confusing because at one minute they're like you're just a little baby girl aren't you and then they're like why don't you marry him uh <laughs> it's tough bruno starts sending him little gifts to kill his father mm-hmm. he's sending the tennis star little like he sends it like a right. map so he's bruno like, he's wants like, <laughs> the tennis star to kill his guy to kill his father and he's not playing ball so he starts sending him like a little present and one a little map with like a that goes to his dad's room and he's like he sends him a gun like in the mail <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> they play a full tennis match in the yes. in this film, they play a full length tennis match. Ten Kathy older. goes, "No wonder why Ben loves this shit." <laughs> why? Because I like because they play the full tennis. Yeah, match. It's, it's the U.S. <laughs> Open and a thriller in one. And they're playing on grass. Yeah, <laughs> I think there's a certain patience in his movies, and this goes again to the suspense where he lets a scene play out. Thinking about Psycho, it's foreplay until the stabbing. The whole it's first year build, he's building tension. It's building tension for yeah. an hour. Right. Order, and that's why the release of the stabbing is just so dramatic. But you see so much of that in modern movies. Like, it's so cool that they had this, they built all this tension up with her and the money. And the money didn't even fucking matter in any way. Certainly halfway through, but at the end of the movie, it's just underwater. But like, they, they had this whole other tension. Like, have you ever seen Hereditary? No. That whole thing, is, it starts as like this terrible family drama. Mm. And then it turns into this horrific horror and like it's like wild to build that tension and then change it and with the money of course what you are referring to is what's known as a macguffin uh it just means any sort of usually it's an object but i guess it could be a person but something that drives the plot that is not important in itself right and the money in psycho is a great example the briefcase in pulp fiction four hundred thousand dollars in today Adjusting for an inflation in Joe Biden's America. Did you look that up? Yeah, I did. <laughs> we wanted to know. <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah. That's a lot of money. Um, rear window? Rear window. I love that. That That's close to a perfect movie. It's, it's great. so good. Yeah. It's just so good. There's a lot that's upsetting how often he takes that robe off. And he's like, I'm just a kid. And he hobbles over <laughs> and to his bed. he's got these wrinkles. Yeah, yeah. He's, got, he's got titties and he's got gray hair. And he's like, I'm not going to get married. I'm not done being a Bronco. <laughs> and it's like, okay, Jim. Uh, God bless. He looks, I wrote this down. I said he looks like Reagan in office. Like he looks like Reagan when he, he's president. He, he's, at, like, he, in his 70s. Yeah. <laughs> Grace Kelly is a goddess. Oh, this ancient man is giving her the cold shoulder. He's pissed that she's hot. That's one of the notes. That's one of the notes. <laughs> <laughs> He's pissed that she's hot. <laughs> that's what it was. That, that's, that was his only problem with her. I mean, again, that movie does feel like the ultimate Hitchcock movie, just in terms of the suspense, in terms of building a whole world. It wasn't a cheap movie. Like, Psycho was actually made on a pretty low budget, which is interesting because it made the So most. much money, yeah. But Rear Window is not cheap, but it's all done in basically one enclosed setting. And a lot of his movies, Rope is a famous example, which like all takes place in one apartment. Another way to increase suspense and drama is to make it enclosed. Kind of like a comedy club. Like almost, you know. Trap the people. Trap them. 
But his movies are a trap in ways. And Rear Window definitely feels like that. It all takes place in this Greenwich Village series Beautiful of Beautiful little neighborhood. <laughs> oh, it looks delightful. It looks lovely. Yeah. It looked lovely. And I probably, loved the little dog being dropped down. Yeah. That was cool. Probably way... Well, Why do they sleep dog, on the fire escape? Can you tell me? They sleep on the fire escape? Yeah, they have their bed on the fire escape. A twin bed. And they sleep head to foot. I mean, you lived in Manhattan for years. You don't know the <laughs> fucking rent that it takes to get a roof over your head. Are they living on a fire escape? It, it's, it's wild. What's weird is that we chose these three movies. Vertigo is often seen now as his masterpiece, even though it wasn't as popular at the time. What's that one about? Vertigo is about Vertigo. <laughs> it's about uh, a guy with no, Vertigo. Is it really? <laughs> Vertigo is about a detective who has a fear of heights uh-huh. and can't get over the fear of heights. Right. But the real plot of Vertigo, again, happens sort of later on in the movie. He falls in love with someone, and then she dies. Turns out she doesn't die, but he thinks that she dies. And then he sees another woman who looks exactly like her, but doesn't have blonde hair. So he wants her to dye her hair, and he wants her to dress like the woman that he lost. And it's sort of a... It's a very creepy movie. Jimmy Stewart again stars in it. Oh, he's and a <laughs> Jimmy Stewart's great. Jimmy Stewart's a creep. <laughs> That's the other thing. Jimmy Stewart, for me, I've only seen him old, but he plays teens in the films I know. It's a wonderful life. That when they go to high school prom together, yeah. he's a fifty six year old man. <laughs> <laughs> somehow he's somehow older in the teen yeah, scenes than he is when he's playing the adult. Well, he's like, oh, we're just teens. I think it's the boys, too. Yeah. And the fact that he's literally 700 yeah. years old. That also is part and of it. And that he's 19 feet tall, slender man in a tux. It's a little scary. Oh, Jimmy Stewart. What an American actor. <laughs> he's an icon. So, Hitch, greatest director of all time? Ah, uh, Michael Bay has a <laughs> chat. Yeah, I think he might legitimately be... The best director of all. Well, let's let's name some like what? Who are some others of yours? Because I I would guarantee I'm actually mad at myself for being ignorant to this as much as I was. I mean, the people on most lists that I've seen of the greatest directors of all time, he is number one. Okay. On the sight and sound list of the greatest movies, right? It used to be Citizen Kane number one. Yeah. And the last list, Vertigo is number one. No. Yeah. All so, time. All time, and that's including foreign movies. How high are these three up? I think pretty Rare high. Window has to be. I think it's definitely on the list. It's on a list. I do think that he's the best in terms of prolific and quality and quantity. Yeah. There but are definitely certain pound. directors who have made three or four great movies, but he just has so many. Like it's Over all the decades. Over all I the decades. I think also doing so many different things is also so super impressive. You know, Scorsese says he's incredible. Yeah. Incredible. <laughs> but, you know, you're doing one thing, yeah? So on this list, the sight and sound list, Vertigo is one, Citizen Kane is two, Tokyo Story, which is a Japanese movie, is number three. So this list definitely has its... Opinions. Yeah. Rear Window 53, okay. which is still not bad. I mean, it's pretty damn I mean, it's good. Good. there's a lot of movies. North by Northwest 53. Oh, they're tied. They are tied for 53. <laughs> that, is, that is correct. They are tied for 53. Psycho. Let's just read the whole list. I think people are enjoying this. And... The other, so Vertigo number one, 35 is Psycho. That's good. That's good. Listen, it's a it's a really good movie. It's the best. I don't know if I'll watch Vertigo. You didn't really sell me on it. North by Northwest, I think, is the next one for you to watch. That's a true Hitchcock movie. Guy I also on the purchased run. all these on Amazon. So You bought the whole, you I bought the like, filmography. <laughs> I bought Hitchcock? No, I, I rented these. You, had to, you accidentally bought the biopic 
starring Anthony Hopkins and Helen Mirren. That I I would definitely enjoy. I'm, it it wasn't bad. Just, yeah. <laughs> All right, Max. Oh. Well, thank you so much for being on, for talking to me about Hitch. And this felt historic. Thank you so much. <laughs>